Stand with me as we read the scripture this morning. The passage is from First John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved, God, but that he loved us and sent him his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is God's word. Bless the reading and hearing of it. Please be seated. All right, well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It's good to uh, see the uh, praise team was color matching. I, I, apparently, I forgot the memo for that, but um, it's okay. Um, yeah, this, this uh, Christmas, we have a great opportunity to just really um, talk about God's love, Advent love, what this means, and uh, taking this passage in 1 John 4. And um, my prayer is that we we would we would continue to grow as a church uh, that would know the love of Christ and love one another. So with that, uh, I'm going to ask us to go to the Lord in prayer uh, one more time, and uh, if you would join me. So let's pray and ask the Lord to open our hearts uh, to his word uh, this morning. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, this love that um, the world does not fully understand, and we even as Christians have a hard time understanding many times. Uh, but Lord, a love that redeems us from sin and um, the depths of our sin and the magnitude of that debt that was canceled by your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would shape us, perfect your love in us as a church, that we would reflect your love in this world and towards one another. We thank you that we have both Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So, Lord, teach us, uh, as we sing, uh, Lord, would you teach us what it means to love one another this Advent season and beyond. And, Lord, I ask that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be acceptable in your sight as my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a group of uh, professionals posed the following question to a group of four to eight-year-olds. What does love mean? And the answers that the researchers got were very revealing, wide, uh, and deeper than anyone would imagine. Chrissy, age six, says, Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Danny said, Love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. So... Mimi, next time? Oh, just saying, all right? No, I just, all right. <laughs> uh, Bobby, age five, says, Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. 
Noel, age seven, says, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. <laughs> uh, May Ann, age four, says, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. So, um, if I were to ask you this question, you know, what is love? You know, what would you say? How would you respond to this question? What is love? And a lot of times, I think that when we define love, we oftentimes define it in terms of maybe a feeling, right? I feel loving. And we describe it as an emotion. And uh, in fact, there's a song, I think, that says, one pop song that tells us love is a sweet, old-fashioned notion and a second-hand emotion. I don't know who's saying that. Do you? Okay, never mind. But there's a pop song that says that. Uh, But the Bible gives a true vision of what love is, a true definition of love. And apart from Christ, this Advent season, we really don't have, I think, the capacity or the true understanding of what love really is and looks like. And Advent is really a picture that tells us what is love, what does this mean. Um, this passage that we're going to look at in 1 John chapter 4 uses this word agape to describe love. And some of you guys know that this word agape is this word for uh, self-giving. It's uh, this word that talks about unconditional sacrifice. And this passage in 1 John 4 to 5, this word love, agape, is used over 30 times. And so I think John's trying to tell us something, repeating this word over and over to us. And this is what he says about it. And I just want to give a simple vision, but then just talk about the implications of this for us this Advent season as well. But John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John is telling us that um, the true mark of love, or the true mark of knowing God, of being born again by God, is love. If we know God, we are definitely going to be people of love. And if you note here in verse 8, John says God is love. And to say that God is love is not the same thing as saying that love is God, right? And I think in our day and age, um, we, we tend to idolize love. We tend to make love the the ultimate thing, the ultimate goal. But this is not what John is talking about in this passage. Um, Earlier this year, there was a big wedding. And this big wedding was uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Okay, so I don't know if you guys watched this wedding or heard anything about it. Uh, I watched uh, portions of it, and uh, I watched the sermon as well. And the big talk of the wedding was what? It wasn't the couple themselves. It was actually the sermon. And the sermon that was given by the bishop, um, Michael Curry, and his sermon was on love. And he waxed very eloquent about the power of love and um, extolled its virtues and the beauty of love. And 
And was, he did it in a very dramatic fashion. And this was kind of the talk of the wedding. But as I listened to the, the message and the sermon, it felt more like love for love's sake. It almost felt that way. But when the Bible says that God is love, um, the Bible is talking about something a little bit different. What does it mean that God is love? This is one of the most, I think, profound verses in Scripture. And before when I used to read this verse, God is love, um, I, used to, I used to think of it simply as, oh, um, well, this is, his, this is his nature. You know, he's, he's just a loving God. This is, this is who he is, right? And just love kind of flows out of him. And that's true. But I think it's talking about something a little bit deeper than that as well. When, when John says that God is love, um, you have to kind of go back to what John is saying actually in his gospel in John chapter 17. But in this prayer that Jesus gives before the Father, and he's praying this prayer before he goes to the cross, and um, he's praying this prayer, God, uh, would you be glorified? And would you restore the glory that I had with you, you know, before I came into this world? And, and there's this picture in which Jesus is, is seeking to just glorify the Father. The Father is seeking to glorify and praise the Son, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is magnifying Jesus. And um, this picture of this Trinitarian love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that every member, every uh, person of the Trinity, triune Godhead, is seeking to just adore and praise and, and to lift the other up. And this is the nature, the character of God for all of eternity that he is, our God is a God who seeks continually the good, the praise of the other, constantly. This, this uh, continual self-giving towards the other. And so when John says that God is love, it is going back to this very Trinitarian love of God. God himself is able to love us because this is who he is. Now, this can sound abstract. And we hear this, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, that's nice. Trinity, okay. Um, but John goes on to say in verse 9 and 10, he goes on to just kind of boil it down a little bit more. And he takes this abstract truth about who God is, and he says, okay, if you want to see the true essence of this love really demonstrated, it's in the form of Jesus. It's in the cross. And John says in verses 9 through 10, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And here, the ultimate display of God's love, John is showing us through Jesus. And in verse 10, John says, this kind of love is the love in which God took the initiative. He didn't wait for us. We turned our, our backs. We spurned him. We disregarded him. We ignored God. But God took the initiative. Even when we, were, when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, we had turned our backs against God. And 
he takes this initiative to say, I'm going to love you. And he does it by sending his son Jesus. And he proves, I'm going to give my one and only son Jesus. And the third thing he says is that he is going to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. An atoning sacrifice for your sin, for my sin. When we think about Jesus dying on the cross as an atoning sacrifice, when we look at the cross of Jesus, we're tempted sometimes to look at Jesus as simply a martyr, right? Okay, he died on the cross for my sins. That's nice. But that's not why Jesus came. It's not simply to demonstrate his love for you and I just to show how great his love is. Christ died to genuinely take care of our sin problem, our debt of sin. He was an atoning sacrifice. He took, absorbed the judgment, the wrath of God that you and I deserve for our sin and took care of the real sin issue and problem that separated us from God. In ancient pagan religions, human worshipers would have to come before their deities and offer a sacrifice to atone or to appease the gods, to satisfy the gods. But the gospel and Christianity is completely the other way around. God saw the sin and he himself provides the sacrifice through his son Jesus. And John Stott, this, uh, this British pastor, now deceased, but he writes this in his book, The Cross of Christ. He says, The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be, but God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. And so it's this reversal that this, Christ is, was our real substitute when we had substituted God in our lives for, with ourselves. And this Christmas, this Advent season, is about that. It's not this sentimental sometimes version we have of this baby in the manger but it's about this baby that would go to the cross that would genuinely take the judgment and the more that we dwell and the more that we let that sink in about our sin and what christ did the more that we actually wonder at god's love if you have a debt five dollars and someone cancels that debt for you you might say well thank you for canceling that right but if someone cancels a debt of five hundred dollars for you then you're gonna go out of your way and you're gonna write a thank you note you're, it's gonna be really personal this is you know this this is amazing i so deeply appreciate what you did for me but if someone cancels a debt of five million dollars on your behalf you're gonna just you're gonna not only go out of your way you're gonna make yourself into a fool to 
to express your gratitude. Like, how could you do this? And the more that we understand that Christmas, at the heart of it, is about what Christ did to cancel our debt of sin, this is, this is going to correlate with the level of our wonder, our awe, our gratitude, our adoration of who this Jesus is. And that's why in Luke chapter 7, Mary, who just poured this perfume completely uh, over Jesus and spent a year's worth of her wages of this perfume, just lavish, um, lavishly pouring out his love. And it's because she knew all the debts of sin that were canceled in her life. Whoever has been forgiven much loves much. And this is the heart of it. And this is what John is getting at. And in verse 11 to 12, John continues and he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Um, John is making this amazing, amazing um, truth that those who know God, who are born again by God, who know Christ, God begins to put his spirit in you, he lives in you, and he begins to perfect this love in you and I. And verse 12, um, this is this, he says, no one has ever seen God. And this, it's this word from which we get the word theater, and it implies this careful observation or, or examination or scrutiny. And, and what John is saying is no one has ever really seen God up in personal. No one has really seen him close. And Moses tried, uh, Isaiah tried, but they only saw a vision of who the Lord was, and they could barely even handle this vision of who God is. And so in this Old Testament, to see God would have meant certain death. That's what it would have meant. But John's argument here takes this beautiful turn. And he's saying that none of us have really seen God in his essence. But the way that we see God today is through his people, you and I. No one has seen him, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How will the world and how will you and I, how will we see the love of God? It's through one another. This is what John is saying. Um, the reality of God and his love will be seen in God's presence living among us. So what does this actually mean in my life? What does this actually feel like? Now, we talk about this passage, and a lot of times we think, yes, we should love one another. We don't disagree on that. Um, Christ calls us to love one another. God is love. I, I get all this. But I don't think that sometimes we understand what this feels like. To love one another, honestly, feels like death. 
It feels like death. Um, it's not the warm, fuzzy feeling that we imagine, that when we feel loving, we're going to love, but it oftentimes feels like death. When God begins his work of love in us, through us, um, our flesh, our sinful nature will naturally resist it. It naturally resists it. And the flesh prefers its own convenience. We prefer our, our pride. We prefer our way. Um, there's, there's a lot that we prefer. And when God's love comes into us, when we realize the cross of Christ, when, we, when we're living in the cross of Christ, it's going to conflict. It's going to feel painful. And yet, this is exactly the work that God is doing in our life. He is bending our hearts, pulling us away from our natural self bent towards Him, towards His love. Um, Augustine, many, many centuries ago, he referred to this as incurvitus say, and that is to say that in our natural nature, our, our human self nature is bent towards ourselves. And God's love, what he does is he's actually pulling us away from ourselves. He's trying to rip the flesh away. So, New York Times, 2019, New York Times number one bestseller. One of the books, and this is under the category of Christianity, by the way, Christianity and self-care, um, was a book written by this woman who, this lady who said this. She said, is your schedule populated by things that will make your life better, or is it dictated by everybody else's wants and needs? And then she goes on to say, um, being occasionally inconvenienced is a part of life, and if you're willing to serve others, then you better be willing to demand that they do it for you. Now, this is under the category of Christianity, New York Times number one bestseller list. The worldly message says that we are to demand others to make us happy. Others are there to serve our needs. And yet this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us in response to God's love that he calls us to literally die to ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow him. And Jesus says that whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will actually save it. This is the complete opposite message of what we find the world telling us. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, to sacrificially serve the people in our lives who are difficult, thankless, who can be very demanding. Now, this is why, right, oftentimes marriage and family life is very difficult, right? Um, dealing with marriage, spouse, you're coming in conflict with one another. Um, family where your wills are crossing one another, unmet expectations, 
right? This is, uh, oftentimes when we think of love, like we have this ideal picture and expectation of what it should feel like. But do you not realize that these moments of conflict, these moments when our wills are crossing and butting heads against one another, this is actually the very means that God uses to expose our pride and to expose our preferences and he teaches us what does it mean to sacrificially love one another in those moments dealing with right fussy kids whiny kids who are thankless demanding right um right we as parents we essentially what do we do we spend our lives literally giving ourselves away for the other that's what parenting is <laughs> right um, and more vacations, weekends away, doesn't do the trick. It doesn't remove the issues. But the hope of God's love is that he is perfecting his love in us. And what John is saying through this passage is that um, God who began this work through his son Jesus Christ, he is going to Perfect this love in us until it reaches its intended goal in our lives. One of the persons recently uh, asked me this question, and this was maybe a few weeks ago, and he said, so, Pastor David, like, how's church going? Like, how's it going? And I don't always know how to answer that question. I mean, there's just so many things, and there's just, you know, there's always, it's very um, there's not one simple an- way to answer that question. Um, you know, some pastors, they may refer to, oh, you know, we've grown by this much or that, you know, by 10% or whatever. But I think the first thing that really came to my mind when someone asked me this question, uh, how's church going? It was, I was, I felt very encouraged this past year, 2019. And the reason why is because I have seen us as a church grow in a lot of ways. I, I really, when I see our church and I see the ways that um, fellowships and CGs, and, but just the ways that I've seen brothers and sisters serve one another when there's needs and uh, when people are hurting or uh, people are in weakness and just see brothers and sisters coming alongside each other. I, I've seen different people reach out into Inez or USC or uh, into the community in different ways. And I see the love of Christ. And when I see this, this is exactly the love of God. This is God's presence. This is what God is doing in our church. And I've seen this. I've been so encouraged by that. And um, more importantly, is I, this is what's pleasing to God. And I see God's love being perfected through our body, through our church. And this is the hope. And as we go into 2020, um, as we go into this busy Christmas season, right, and just kind of we're seeing relatives, and sometimes it's a mixed experience. It's, you're kind of glad, but then there's, it's complicated sometimes, right? But as we go into these situations and we, as we go into 2020, I want you to think about what does it mean that God is working in my life through this person, this relationship? It's difficult, right? And what is God doing to shape 
my heart? What is God revealing in me? And what does God, what is he trying to do in my life to expose things, but so that I can learn to turn away from, to repent of things maybe, that may be deeply hidden in my heart so that I might find true life in Christ. And it starts with the fact, this truth, that we are sinners, but Christ died and rose again to rescue us. And we keep coming back to this great gospel. And we learn to just give of ourselves and say, I'm going to love, I'm going to serve by the grace of God in the way that God has intended for me to love and serve. It's a process. And we learn to die and rise again. Learn to die and rise again over and over again every single day. On uh, June 25th, 1967, more than 400 million people in 26 countries watched via satellite the famous band, The Beatles. As they performed the song, All You Need Is Love. And the Beatles were asked to come up with a very simple song that everyone could understand, and it became a, a worldwide phenomenon and hit. And as people are singing the song, they are singing what is really the longing of every human heart, to be loved and to love. This is the greatest longing of every human heart. What the Beatles were singing was not entirely off, but it's missing the source. The source of true love is God himself. More specifically, it's Jesus. And whom we really need is not love, but whom we really need is God. To be, we need Jesus himself. And this Advent season is a season where we remember that love did, in fact, come down. His name is Jesus. And he came to redeem us. And he came to start this work in your life, in my life, in our, church, in our church's life. He's, he's doing this work to grow us, to reflect this love. And it's going to be painful, but he's going to give us a new capacity and a new heart. And his spirit lives inside of you. And that the spirit of God is constantly propelling you, constantly moving you towards the love of Christ. So this Christmas season, let's genuinely make room for the love of Christ in our hearts. Let's come to Christ. Let's see our need for Christ. Let's come before the Lord to see our spiritual poverty, our desperation to say, Jesus, I see that my love is very, very short. It's very limited. It's very, uh, my love is I realize that my, my heart is not so loving, but I need your love. Would you give me your capacity to love? As only you can. So let's pray. Please join me. Father, we thank you for uh, this love of Christ that's been given to us, Lord. And as we uh, marvel, as we think about the cross of Jesus and what he did for us, as we think about the fact that not only did Christ come 2,000 years ago to redeem us of our sin, our past sin, but Lord, that you continue to work in us today. And you desire, your goal is to perfect your love in our lives. Lord, um, 
it's kind of nice and easy to come together on a Sunday to put on our best and to smile to one another and sing these songs. But Lord, what we want to do is we want to learn to follow you day by day in your love. Teach us what that means in the day-to-day of life. Um, Lord, grow us. Help us to reflect your love in this world. And by this, all will see the reality of who you are. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.